He looked back at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It would be my privilege to defend the Nazi. It would be my privilege to defend Charles Manson. People are interested in crime. There's no getting around it, and Americans love violence. Coming to a brothel, you're having the full fantasy experience with somebody who knows, let's say, that there's five different ways to give a handjob plus. You know, talk to me about morality. Shut up. I tell you where you can stick your morality, man. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Unfiltered, the podcast. My name is Brian Prowskany. I am the producer and director of the series, and with me, as always, is the wonderful... Joy Zell, and today's Brian's birthday, so happy birthday, Brian. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. So, uh, Well, for this very special birthday edition yeah. of Unfiltered, uh, we have a very intriguing episode today. So, Joyzel, we were talking about science fiction before, and I was very impressed to hear that you've actually read uh, a lot of Isaac Asimov, including iRobot. I know. Where's my trophy? <laughs> where's my gold star? I feel like most people, unfortunately, today, when they hear iRobot, they think of the Will Smith movie, which personally I thought was pretty terrible and was not a good adaptation of the uh, short storybook iRobot. Uh, but that's just my opinion. So, but anyhow, in iRobot, Isaac Asimov developed what he calls the three laws of robotics. And the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. And that's sort of kind of our theme of today's episode, because we're going to be talking about the potential threat of killer robots, uh, in particular artificial intelligence and automated weapons. We're speaking with a uh, professor of the New School. His name is Dr. Peter Asaro. I reached out to Peter basically after a lot of media started buzzing uh, when Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking actually publicly made statements talking about the true threat to humanity uh, that artificial intelligence poses. Dr. Peter Asaro is a member of an organization called the International Committee for Robot Arms Control which is part of a larger group called the Campaign to Stop Killer Robots. And included in that group is Amnesty International and the Human Rights Watch. So this is a big thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, this has obviously been a subject of, you know, pop culture and fiction for quite some time. We're going to get into that a little bit. But we're also going to really talk about, you know, what is the true threat? It's not exactly the Terminator T-800 breaking down your door. It's something that you might not be picturing, but the threat is very real. If we don't do anything about it, autonomous weapons and AI could become a radically new and dangerous form of killing people. Because you no longer need a nation of people and a bunch of followers to raise an army. If you can just manufacture an army, and this gets into kind of the, the Star Wars Clone Wars, you just clone an army or build a robot army, that could kind of fundamentally change you know, the course of history. My name is Peter Acero, and I'm a professor at the New School, and I'm the co-founder and vice chair of the International Committee for Robot Arms Control, which is part of the campaign to stop killer robots. I think the public, uh, when they hear killer robot, uh, goes straight to science fiction with an image of a Terminator. Maybe they think of, if they're from my generation, Maximilian from uh, The Black Hole. Kubrick's 2001 is, of course, a, a masterpiece. For a long time, HAL has stood as, you know, one of the iconic 
artificial intelligence is, and has this kind of calm voice and wants to play chess and things like that. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. But also then has this kind of murderous dark side. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I think, you know, as we now have interactive voice devices like Siri and Alexa that we talk to, I don't know how you cannot help but think of, of Hal <laughs> as you do that. And, and as they start to now also have cameras in them. So they're also starting to watch what's happening in your room as well as recording the audio of that. We've given up so much of our privacy. I think right now it's a bit of a Wild West situation, and, and it is quite terrifying, and uh, the, the specter of Hal is, is a fitting one. So yeah, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, the, the idea of the machines or our own creations killing us has been a staple in you know, film and science fiction for, you know, for forever, basically. Um, and you can really go back to you know, the dawn of cinema, um, you have uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis um, tackled this issue. Yep. And, uh, you know, all the way to, t to today, I mean, obviously even, you know, the number one show on HBO right now is Westworld, which deals with the same topic. Um, obviously, people think of The Terminator, um, they, people think of The Matrix, people think of, uh, even Steven Spielberg made the film AI, which was all about sort of the future of living with artificial intelligence. Right, right. And it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's always this sort of uh, fear and threat about at what point do our creations uh, best us, right? And at what point do they decide that uh, we're not necessary? Yeah, and I, I noticed that when he talks about Siri and Alexa, he keeps saying they right. as if they're already kind of alive. Like he yeah, doesn't say it or yeah. like it, it's very. That's a good point. Yeah. He yeah. really personifies them. It makes them even creepier because I'm like, well, crap. Like, I <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about buying a, whatever the, the Amazon Alexa. And then now hearing this, I'm like, that is kind of creepy. <laughs> well, I love I love that correlation that he makes. I mean, you know, Hal, like he said, is one of the most popular, you know, AIs oh, we've yeah. seen in cinema. It's yeah. a, right now actually is the 50th anniversary of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, we were talking the other day. A lot of people don't understand how Hal got his name no right you enlightened <laughs> so, me so how did how get his I name i mean basically and i don't even know if this was ever confirmed but it seems to be sort of obvious i think it was stanley kubrick himself that um I, this is based on the arthur c clark novel but I, I don't believe Hal was mentioned in the novel by name like that oh. so in the film that stanley kubrick directed at the time uh you know obviously this was 50 years ago IBM was one of, you know, the pioneers in artificial intelligence and scientific research. And uh, so sort of as a joke, you take IBM and you drop it down a letter. Uh, so, you know, before I is H, before B is A, a then M, and L. M is L, and, then, and that's where you get Hal. Creepy. It's pretty creepy. And it's kind of interesting how a lot of the f these types of films, like most good science fiction, I think, actually predicts things that happen decades later. And so it's kind of creepy when you think of Alexa and you think of these other voice activated devices and uh, even Siri. Uh, it, it really is like we're all running around with a bunch of howls in our pockets or in our homes. Yeah. So when you think of AI, I don't know, I automatically do jump to Siri and all these kinds of personal assistants because right. they are they have a human voice, and, you know. But there's also things like when you deposit your check digitally, like you take a photo on your phone, mm -hmm. like so that the bank 
you know, you don't have to go physically to a bank location or anything. Right. Or that's see a teller. Appa- or, right. Yeah. Apparently that's AI because it automatically like reads the handwriting and converts it to text. Hmm. And then there's things like um, fraud protection is apparently another form of AI, like credit card fraud protection, the notifications you get. So it's very interesting how um, deep In- embedded it is yeah. in, in, in ways that we don't even realize. Like right. we are dealing with AI on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not. Exactly. Alongside the benefits, AI will also bring dangers like powerful autonomous weapons. We've also had warnings from you know scientists like Stephen Hawking and, and Elon Musk. I think we should be really concerned about AI. That artificial intelligence is going to unlock some Pandora's box of super powerful, super intelligent artificial systems that could threaten the very existence of humanity. And I think that's, you know, theoretically a possibility. But I think they're touching on something that people are very much aware of and afraid of, which is that these systems are also becoming embedded in our society in many ways that actually do control our lives in very powerful ways. And we should become more and more aware of this. And we should have a a voice in shaping how those technologies are developed and what kinds of impacts they're going to have on society. So that voice, obviously you heard, is, is Stephen Hawking's machine. And Elon Musk, um, he did get very dramatic about the future of AI, Elon Musk. Uh, he actually even referred to it as uh, the demon. We are summoning the demon. It was a statement that he had made. And uh, basically, Elon Musk uh, believes that you know AI is going to pose a bigger threat than uh, nuclear weapons. Whoa, um, that's heavy. Yeah, and it's, you know, so it's it's freaky stuff. I mean, when you hear technologists talk about it in this way, it kind of makes you pay a little more attention to, you know, where we're headed in this thing and where we might accidentally go. But what um, Dr. Asaro is going to explain to us is, you know, what we're picturing as a killer robot might not exactly be what the true killer robot is that poses a threat to us. It's it's not, like I said, you know, the, the, the giant monster, you know, human-like It's not the Terminator. Thing. It's not the Terminator, no. but uh, it's actually something that's a little more practical and something that we see very frequently today. The reality that, that we're concerned with uh, in the campaign to stop killer robots are autonomous weapons systems. And these are weapons systems that militaries are developing right now uh, that are capable of targeting and engaging weapons uh, without any meaningful human control. So, of course, there's already lots of automation being used in today's military systems, and we can look at things like drones uh, that are armed. Right now, the ones that the U.S. is using, things like the Predator and the Reaper drone, these are controlled by humans remotely. They have a lot of automation in terms of the autopilot, in terms of taking off and landing. But when it comes to actually engaging the weapon systems, the humans have to be operating the system. They designate the targets. They lock the laser designator on and fire the weapon and follow that through to the impact. So what we're really concerned about are situations where the computer, using its own software and programming, is analyzing sensor data, video, infrared, other kinds of information, and determining from that imagery that something is a target and then attacking it. And this really changes, I think, fundamentally the nature of targeting because machines cannot be legal and moral agents, so they cannot really make a legal determination or know that it's morally justified to kill they could act unpredictably and cause harms to civilians. They could initiate or escalate conflicts. 
They could lead to arms races that could be you know, regionally and globally destabilizing. They can be susceptible to hacking, which means they can also be taken over and redirected by third parties, terrorist organizations. So we could be attacked by some robot and not know who owns that robot or what country sent that robot out. There's just a whole host of things, but I think there's really kind of two kind of legal and moral issues. The one is the legal issue of the accountability gap. If you send out a robot not knowing exactly what it's going to do, you have no intent. Even if you kind of know it might go kill a whole village of civilians or something, right? And then you have the question of human rights and human dignity. And basically the way the law works and the way the, the UN Declaration on Human Rights is framed is everybody has a right to life. And there's only very extreme and specific circumstances in which your right to life can be overridden by others' rights to life, and then armed conflict is one of these. But in order to do that, you have to be a legal and moral agent to sort of make that determination, and machines can't do that. So it has no situational awareness, no contextual understanding of whether it's appropriate to use violent force. So the issue is that when it's the computer making the decisions of who to kill. Exactly. And not a human. Right. I mean, as of right now, you know, the militaries around the world are using automated systems, but they're not fully automated, right? Like, so we have drone warfare, but there are still, there's still a human element involved, right? As right. far as, you know, remote controlling it or whatever. And, you know, to his point, I mean, these machines, they can't make ethical decisions. They can't make moral choices. They can't... They can't um, understand situations. Yeah, exactly. Can't they, contextualize. You know, they, they don't know how to interpret, you know, something that might be an exception or some type of unique situation. Right. Um, and then, you know, I like what he says about the accountability gap as well, because, you know, when a human does something to another human, they're held accountable for it, right? But now all of a sudden you kind of introduce this th thing that could, you know, you could very well send a robot to kill a small village and then claim, oh, I didn't know it was going to do that or that thing, yeah. you know, it, it, it malfunctions or, you know, really, it, it opens up sort of like a limitless list of issues and problems. Right. You can't when, sentence a robot to jail. That's so weird. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Robot no. jail. Robot jail <laughs> doesn't exist yet. Not yet. So, you know, as Dr. Osaro points out, yeah, I mean, this is the real threat of what a killer robot is. It's the, automated, it's the automated weapon. It's not the humanoid. It's not sort of the science fiction version of things we see. Although you are starting to see a lot of this in science fiction. Black Mirror has had episodes about this. Yep. Um, they had the one with the bees. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah. the bee episode where there's um, it's in a, it's set in a dystopian future where bees have all died out. So then they have a right. they just basically make up these AI bees, these robot bees. Right. And uh, then they get hijacked and mayhem kind of ensues. And that's uh, you know like like he points out. I mean, who knows? You know, with ha hackers and terrorist organizations, um, you know, when you have weapons of this, you know availability also, right? I mean, yeah. this is what sort of makes it even a little different than nuclear weapons um, because you start mass producing these things. Um, it's, you know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be out there a lot more than, you're going to have better access to yeah. an and automated I mean, drone than you would a, a nuclear arsenal. Right, and if you lose control of that, it can just turn deadly. Yeah, and uh, so interesting enough, uh, like a episode of Black Mirror, there was a, a short film that was made with the intention of uh, bringing awareness to this issue. 
There was a, a film produced by the Future of Life Institute uh, last year called Slaughterbots um, that depicted a, a potential dystopian future of autonomous weapons. And these were small drones that would carry a small charge that would fly in, up to your head and like basically shoot you in the head. So you could pick out all those people in a city and then just drop plane loads of these drones who would then hunt down those people and kill them. And these point to the fact that this kind of weapon, once you permit autonomous weapons, could radically transform warfare. So on the one hand, it could become a new kind of weapon of mass destruction. A small group of people could release an army or fleet of these kinds of robots and kill many thousands of people. And then you can think through how you know, those kinds of systems could be used by tyrants and dictators and turned against their own people and things like that. And there's just this sort of, again, a Pandora's box. There's so many ways in which these systems are going to negatively impact society. It's just really hard to justify their permitting them to exist. Humans make mistakes all the time. But even an 18-year-old is much more sophisticated in processing information and understanding context and situation than any computer system that we have right now. And even when they're scared and hungry and tired and confused, they still perform at incredible levels in terms of their cognitive abilities. So it's a, it's a valid point that Dr. Sauer makes that, um, you know, from his perspective, and I, I do believe this to be true is is that you know at at the point that automated weapons or machines are or even artificial intelligence they still don't best the human brain as far as cognitive function um you're you're obviously decision making especially in unique situations um still needs to be left up to a human and you know as he says even if you're a soldier who's scared or weak or tired your brain is still functioning uh, in a cognitive way that's far superior uh, than any type of decision-making a, a machine could make. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it comes down to, like, a robot is not conscious the way humans exactly. are conscious. Right, or can't adapt either. I mean, right. I think that's the big thing, right? It's like, because you have to adapt to every situation where a robot only knows how to do the one thing that it's told to yeah, do. Yeah, it can just yeah. do things and not really think. I think it's funny. He, he had uh, mentioned to me um, that, you know, a lot of people are especially Elon Musk, when they talk about these things, about the threats of AI, people are thinking of these genius robots. They're thinking of these things that are going to, you know, outwit us. But he says, you know, really the threat is not the smart robot, it's the dumb robot. It's these machines that are only programmed to do X, Y, and Z. And when they malfunction, terrible things happen. So recently, the campaign to stop killer robots has been lobbying uh, at the U.N. to create an updated weapons ban treaty that would mm -hmm. include these kinds of automated weapons right. uh, that, you know, Dr. Asaro warns about. Um, and right now, there are 26 countries that support it, including Iraq and China. But alarmingly, the U.S. is not one of them. Not a part of it. So I guess we'll, you know, see a robot apocalypse in the future. <laughs> no big deal. I think we really need to, you know, I, I think we need to listen uh, to this campaign. There have always been a preemptive bans on certain weapons. Um, in the 80s, there was laser technology, which is kind of funny. I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, were we close to, like, lightsabers and, like, laser blasters? It sounds but, like but we, we were. We sort of took that out of the equation. Took it, the fun out of everything. It almost seems like a little bit of a jip. But this treaty has also included things like landmines um, and even sort of uh, the accountability and sort of um, the legality of, say, 
uh, weapons that have been left over from previous wars. Um, you know, right? So like undetonated bombs that are still uh, yeah. on uh, what was a battlefield. So. Right. But you know, his whole purpose and the purpose of the campaign is really you know let's stop this stuff before it becomes something. You know, and and and. I think that, you know, if there is a time to really talk about this stuff, the time is now, as opposed to when countries start manufacturing these things. Yeah, and, let's and, like and, nip it in the bud right. now. And they've been doing that for the past five years. I mean, the campaign's been trying to yep. urge governments and um, the UN to, to do something. They recently spoke in Geneva just a couple of weeks ago, and um, that was actually where they had, you know, several more countries, I think actually... Uh, China was one of the last ones to join that list. Um, so they're making groundwork, you know, but it is a little alarming that our own country, the United States, doesn't seem to be really... Nope, they're just absent. You know, but, you know, it doesn't mean that they won't get on the bandwagon at some point, but one has to hope that they're at least considering it. I think the average citizen should be very concerned with this issue. Right now, what we really need are, are citizens to go to their governments and say, look, there's an easy solution enact this treaty and you know support the its movement forward in the UN and that's you know that's something that states can do quite easily at this point once these weapons are out there and, and we start to see all of these consequences I think it's going to be far more difficult to prohibit them so for our exclusive clip bonus clip hey uh, Dr. Sarah is going to talk to us a little bit about you know some of the people that don't see the issue of uh, replacing the human element with machines? I think, you know, the, the proponents of autonomous weapons or the defenders of autonomous weapons uh, argue a, a few different lines. So one is, of course, that you want to protect your own soldiers. And I think you can get, you know, most of that protection by still having remotely operated systems, right? So drone operators are not threatened in the way that pilots are threatened over a combat zone. And, and really then you just have some very specific circumstances where remote operations are, are more challenging. Um, so under the sea, it's very difficult to get electromagnetic waves to transmit. So it's very difficult to control submarines remotely the way that we can with aircraft. Similarly, if aircraft are flying into uh, denied areas, um, where we have sophisticated enemies who can jam the radio signals and interfere with that, then it is again impossible to sort of uh, fly remotely. So that's where the military is sort of motivated to build some of these systems. And in those cases, I think, you know, you can just not target things automatically or you give them targets before they enter those uh, in areas of non-communication denying communication. In terms of replacing humans in more specific ways, of course, and this has been an issue with drones as well, there's questions of, you know, post-traumatic stress and um, humans making mistakes in general. And don't we want to save our soldiers not only from physical harms, but from psychological harms? And don't we want to also, you know, make sure that they're not making mistakes? Humans make mistakes all the time. And so you sort of wind up in this weird position of sort of arguing in favor of fallible humans. So I, I see what he's saying, and I kind of, I don't know. I don't know where I, I don't want killer robots to come after us. No, um, you're not into that. No, I'm not, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I'm not into fun like that, sorry. Uh -huh. um, but I see the that line of, like, we need to 
you know, there's also maybe we should protect our human soldiers in a way like. Right. Well, you know, as he says in that clip, I mean, we are at a technological point where we don't necessarily have to have soldiers in the battlefield. Right. I mean, we're doing, you know, all the, a lot of this drone warfare is all remote controlled. Right. Um, so I think there already is an element of, you know, warfare is drastically different now. Right. Um, so, you know, I think we are saving a certain amount of soldiers. It's just a question of still allowing that human element to be involved. And, you know, of course, you do want to cut out things like, you know, PTSD and stuff like that. But unfortunately, you know, that's the sacrifice, I think, right? It's like, you know, in, in order, you know, that's part of why the human element is so important is because it, it it feels things, you know, it has these emotions. And unfortunately, you know, you can be negatively impacted by decisions that you make during wartime. Um, but I think that is still an important ingredient. And obviously, that's what Dr. Saro is fighting for is to maintain that you know, reflection or in decision making um, that you wouldn't get with a machine. Right. And I think it's important to also keep in mind that war is war. And it's right. very, you know, it's not, I don't know, I guess when I think about it, it's not something that as, as hard as you try to not to prevent human soldiers from having PTSD or going through the psychological trauma, like right. in itself, like it is a very psychologically traumatic sure. incident. I mean, one of the scary things is that Vladimir Putin, you know, had even recently said that, you know, the future is AI. And when you have a world leader say something like that, what inevitably ends up happening is other countries respond, right? So, you know, once people start utilizing automated weapons more, it's really going to kick off as sort of an automated weapons race. Yeah, just much like what happened with nuclear arms. Exactly. Where now everybody's hoarding their own missiles, things like that. People are going to hoard their own drones. And that's where the slippery slope happens, you know, when people start, you know, mass producing things and maybe not doing it, doing it in a way, in a competitive way. They're probably not paying attention to certain details that, you know, or certain ideas that need to be discussed or thought about. Uh, you're really just trying to keep up, you know, with everyone else around you. Yeah, like nobody's bothering to answer the ethical question. It's like that quote from Jurassic Park, the one where Jeff Goldblum says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Yeah, definitely. I think that that quote is very appropriate to uh, this situation. Um, you yeah, know, should we? There, there's pros and cons. You know, Dr. Asaro is illustrating the cons for us. Um, but I think the most important thing is that we think about this. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Next week we have a kind of a scary episode for everyone. Well, I don't know. It's not. It's intriguing and scary and creepy. But basically, we'll be talking to Dr. Gallagher, uh, who is a renowned uh, psychiatrist, um, and he is actually a scientific advisor. Uh, for the International Board of Exorcists. He, oh. He's the guy that the priests bring in to determine if this is maybe paranoid schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, or demonic possession. Just casually. Oh, it's a demon. <laughs> uh, so we'll see you there next week, and thank you for joining us, everyone. Make sure you tune into Yahoo News to see the unfiltered video of our interview with Dr. Peter Asaro. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, a lot of cool visuals. Great yep. job by Felix uh, editing this piece. And um, amazing editor, R. Felix. And you get to see a little more of the, uh, the pop culture references in there. So check it out. And catch our podcasts uh, every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>